today on Ag News Daily. You know, we had the headline that Russia was going to be talking about their wheat exports, and I think that's still an issue that, you know, bears paying quite a bit of attention to. We'll see if it, if it turns into anything in the long haul, but... Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, co-host of the Ag News Daily Podcast, and I am joined on this lovely fall Monday by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how you doing? I'm good, Mike. How are you? I am just fine. Spent all weekend harvesting up with our friend uh, Ted Hamer and Caleb Hamer at Hamer mm-hmm. Farms, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting some good sleep tonight. Yeah, was it a long weekend? Were you uh, have long hours in the field? You know, honestly, the way Ted and Caleb and uh, make things work, it's not all that bad at all. We were working in a field pretty close to the dump site, so it it worked. And I tell you, those boys get things done. I mean, when we talk about Iowa farmers mm-hmm. getting acres knocked out, and of course, we'll have the uh, the harvest progress update from the USDA a little bit later on today. But um, I'm not going to be surprised if there's not a huge jump in harvested percentage, at least based on our progress. Yeah, absolutely. I was talking to quite a few farmers over the weekend, a lot of them getting stuff done. I guess I talked to mostly um, Iowa farmers, so I don't know when we look at other states how they're doing, but it seems like Iowa at least is definitely making quite a bit of progress. And we were thinking maybe there for a while that harvest would run later than normal, yeah. but I don't think that that's going to be the case anymore. I, I think so either. You know, it's, it's been an interesting harvest season, to say the least. Everybody thought we'd be done early mm-hmm. first because, uh, you know, the crop was maturing very right. quickly. Then we had all that rain. And we had rain. And now we've had dry weather and wind, 40-mile-an-hour winds yesterday across mm-hmm. a lot of Iowa and Minnesota and Illinois, and that's dried things right back down. And mm-hmm. now fo- farmers are really rocking and rolling. And it sounds like you also uh, became a barista this weekend. I did. And I it was really, it was going back to being a barista. Oh. When I was at Iowa State University <laughs> for a brief while, I was the manager of mm-hmm. the coffee shop in the Memorial mm-hmm. Union. And, uh, you know, getting down there at 4 o'clock to, in the morning, Delaney. That yeah, I, I know. Turns out Thank they you. have one at that time of day as well, another 4 o'clock. Um, when funny, was the last time you funny. saw 4 o'clock in the morning? Oh. Waking up for yeah, 4 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I know. I was just morning. thinking that. I don't know. Couldn't tell you. Been a day or two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, now I got to go back and, and help uh, Ted and Linda brew coffee at their church, which was a lot of fun. Got to meet some people and connect with old friends that I hadn't seen in quite a little while, which was pretty cool. That is cool. It is. Well, one of the things we were doing at church was they brought in food for those of us who were doing the work, which was pretty sweet. You know who else they bring in food for, Delaney? Who? Pigs. Okay. Pigs in China, specifically. Mm-hmm. In fact, China has said that the outbreak of African swine fever likely stemmed from the feeding of food scraps to pigs. Mm-hmm. I saw that. Yeah. So as of last Wednesday, they have moved to ban the feeding of kitchen waste to pigs, and they're thinking that is going to help cut down the, um, the outbreak mm-hmm. of African swine fever. This was kind of shocking to me. They said they still don't know how the disease got into the country in the first place, but they found that 62% of the first 21 outbreaks were related to the feeding of kitchen waste. I don't... I, mm, I, I read this the other day, too, and I keep thinking, like, what were they feeding them that... Well, maybe they had... Maybe somebody had slaughtered a wild boar right, for I guess. for their mm-hmm. own consumption, and then they just throw the waste away and fed it to the pigs. Mm-hmm. That would have done it. Yeah, that's true. That's kind of the only avenue I can think of. I, I don't know. think they were importing a whole lot of pork from Eastern Europe, Mm-mm. which is where it could have come from. Right. But uh, yeah, so well, I guess you know time remains to 
to tell whether or not this actually does address the issue. But I feel like maybe we're getting a little more information out of the Chinese uh, central government there. Maybe. We do also, I think we each pulled this story today, Mike, uh, talking about how Chinese traders are going to, or have been downplaying the impact of new animal feed guidelines on soy. Mm -hmm. And traders in China on Monday played down the potential impact on soy consumption and uh, apparently saying that rising soy meal and soy prices would be a far bigger curb on appetite. What were your thoughts on this? Well, you know, it was interesting. So this all originated because on Friday, China's Feed Industry Association Mm -hmm. approved new guidelines. They're not laws. They're not uh, anything in force. Yeah, they're suggestions. But what they did is they lowered the suggested protein level in pig feed by one and a half percentage points, and they lowered it in chickens by one percentage point, which... For all of our nutritionists out there listening, that's a fairly large drop Mm -hmm. in protein recommendations. Uh, China has traditionally been feeding more protein than a lot of us here in the more modern hog operations in the West. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's just one more way that China is going to try to cut back on their soybean and soybean meal imports to better cope with the trade war, especially... Now that things might be getting a little shifty down in Brazil. That's a great segue, Mike, because we had, of course, the Brazilian elections this past weekend and the far-right candidate, okay, let's try to pronounce his name, Har? I've been pronouncing it Yer. Yer. It's Portuguese, so I don't know how the J sounds in in Portuguese. Listeners who have spent time (laughs) in Brazil and or Portugal, let us know. How do you pronounce Har's name? Yeah, or J. What what uh, sound does the J make? What sound does the J make? That sounds like a schoolhouse <laughs> so, uh, rock song. So yeah, so Bolsonaro won, who was the candidate who just had gotten stabbed um, in the stomach Not a couple just, of just. It was like six weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, no, it wasn't that long ago in the grand scheme of things. Walked out of the hospital a couple of days later. He won, and so the reason I think that we keep bringing this up, listeners, is because he's a very far right wing candidate. He has been very vocal uh, about his stance on trading with China and currently Brazil is shipping out a lot of soybean products obviously to China right now and so I think it's going to be interesting once he takes gets into office here not December 1st what day does he well maybe I I don't know you've got the article open well it doesn't say what day he steps into office (sighs) I'm not sure I think the Mexican I elections say, in December. I know. I, th- I thought that they were a uh, similar time scale. But anyways, I think it'll be interesting to see uh, how this affects their trading relationship with China. Right. I mean, if he is truly adamant about making sure that the Chinese aren't, in his words, mm-hmm. abusing the people of Brazil or trying to buy the country of Brazil, it, it wouldn't be too shocking to see tariffs go into play mm-hmm. down in Brazil as well, which could really leave China up a creek, so to speak, when it'll it comes really to change. soybean meal imports. It'll really change the trade dynamic, I think. Yeah. It'll be really interesting to see. And I think it would be bullish for I bean know. prices. I, I think... I would think so, too. Um, And we also, of course, know that President Trump is going to be meeting with President Xi here in just a couple of weeks at the upcoming G20 meeting in Argentina. In an exclusive report interview that he did with AgriPulse, he said that the trade war won't be ending anytime soon. He said China and China will happen, but you've got to have a little time. They've been living very well off the United States, and you know who understands that better than anybody else? The farmer. They've told me, take your time. We have total confidence. We trust you. And they say that with Canada and Mexico 
and now they're saying it with China. Boy, I've talked to a lot of farmers, Delaney, mm-hmm. and I've heard I've heard a lot of growers say, "Look, we're willing to give him a little bit of mm-hmm. time," but I've never heard somebody be that generous with their time. I haven't either. Yeah, I wonder which farmers he's been talking. I mean, at the end of the day, growers need markets to make a living, and uh, you know, okay, the trade war, trying to get good things for America, blah 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 blah. But at the same time, it's not going to be great if you know the ag industry effectively goes broke while we're trying right. to you know secure benefits for steel producers, for mm-hmm. an example. So just open up a whole other can of worms, I would think. Yeah. Interesting. Well. If President Trump really wants to help the American farmer, particularly the American corn grower, National Corn Growers Association has today published a, uh, a little fact sheet aimed at the EPA and the NHTA, the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration. And uh, basically, they're adding their comments to the new safe vehicles rule about high-octane fuels. You can use... E30, E50, E60 create a very, very high octane, low temperature burning fuel. And uh, like Ted Seifert has, make cars that run very effectively on it with much lower greenhouse gas emissions. And that's what uh, NCGA is trying to promote. And maybe if President Trump is serious about helping the farmer, let's go beyond E15. Let's push for year round E30. Let's push for. I think we've got to get E15 first. I don't know. E15 is going to be a legal fight anyway. Let's just jump right to E50. E50? In Brazil, that's what they do. Uh, Why can't we? I don't know that a lot of cars can use that high. Any flex fuel vehicle can, which I think you reported last week, like 93% of all vehicles sold in the country. 93% of all vehicles sold in the country can use E15. Oh, 100% of vehicles sold in the country can use E15. That is shenanigans. I think it's something like perhaps 50% of new vehicles are flex fuel. And really, if these vehicles would be tuned Mm -hmm. to burn E50 or E90, the mileage hit would go down quite a bit. Greenhouse gas emissions would get curbed. And people would, you know, be burning a heck of a lot more ethanol, which would definitely be good for us in the heartland for Mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not disagreeing. Cattle feeders might have a little different take, and other end users would certainly balk at that Mm -hmm. a little bit. Or the argument from usually a lot of consumers that say, oh, we shouldn't be using feed sources. Yeah, food for fuel. Stupidest argument ever. Do you know who first came up with that argument in 2008? Tell me. GMA, the Grocery Manufacturers Association. So for listeners who want a little history lesson, 2008 we saw the first crude oil price spike, and crude went up to $137 a barrel. Well, crude has the biggest impact on food prices, period. Mm -hmm. Crude and and marketing expenses. So it's the cost of getting the food from the field to the plate, and uh, and that caused grocery store prices to skyrocket. But people didn't really want to blame fuel prices. So instead, the Grocery Manufacturer Association blamed ethanol. They came up with the food versus fuel argument, and that has been very effective. It's stuck in people's mind, and it is totally bunk. The bunk argument. You've got all sorts of these theories. Th- no, that, that's not a theory. Okay. GMA came up with it. All right, that's no, a fact. I believe you. I that's, believe that. Th- these are facts, Delaney. These aren't theories. This isn't, you know, like the theory of gravity. It's a fact. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Drop some more news on us. Okay. The only other piece of news I have for today that is a fact mm-hmm. is uh, Florida Ag's 
late, latest, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The latest... Census? The no, latest sorry. snapshot? The um, latest... Uh, the latest impact from Hurricane Michael. Sorry, I was having a, oh, a blonde okay. moment there. So nearly one million acres of crops were damaged during the storm, and they have now totaled $158 million in damages from ag alone, just in the state of Florida. I believe it. Yeah. A lot of high-value crops in Florida. Mm -hmm. A lot of livestock. Melons, tree nuts, livestock, timber is a big deal in Florida, too. Yeah. Yeah, the works. Well, our hearts go out to you there, Floridians and Georgians and South Carolinians and North Carolinians, of course, who are still recovering from... uh, the first hurricane was that one, uh, what was that one called? Florence. Florence. Yeah, Hurricane Flo. Man, it has been a, it's been a tough fall for a lot of producers, and that kind of puts things in perspective for those of us that have just had to deal with a little bit of rain. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, Delaney, speaking of a tough fall, we've got a tough day in the soybean markets for producers, but what do you think? Should we jump right into it? Let's do it, Mike. Well, folks, our markets today, as every day, are brought to us by our great friends over at the Zaner Group. Remember, you can put a marketing plan in place, and the folks at Zaner can help you stick to it. Give them a shout. You can reach them at 312-277-0050, or visit them on the web at zaner.com, and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. Well, we've got a little bit of weakness here on uh, corn and soybeans, and a little bit of strength in the wheat market. To close out the day, December corn was down a penny at 366 and three quarters, with the march off three quarters of a cent to 379 and a quarter. In soybeans, the November gave back all of Friday's gains, dropped six cents on the day to close at 839 even. The January down five and a half, finished the day at five at 852 and a quarter. In wheat, Chicago, December contract up two cents at 507 and a quarter. The March up one and three quarters to finish the day at 526 even. Looking over on the livestock side, we've got mixed trade in both cattle contracts here. The October live cattle up 42 and a half cents. Of course, it is approaching X Inspiration finished at 114.30. The December down a dollar fifteen at 117.25. In feeders, the November contract down 90 cents at 153.90, with the January up 12 and a half cents to close at 149.82 and a half. And strength in lean hogs, the December contract up 92 and a half cents on the day at 58.85. The February up 52 and a half to close the day at 66.90. Looking over at the dairy markets in Class Three milk, October of course. Again, real close to expiration, unchanged on the day at 1553. The November down 20 cents, closed at 1488, and the December down 17 cents on the day to finish at 1510. Before we jump into our hashtag Market Monday conversation with our friend Brian Split, let's get a word from our sponsors. Hashtag Market Monday brought to us by our friends at Barber Cattle. Are you looking to buy or sell quality cattle? Make Barber Cattle your first call. Laura Barber of Barber Cattle and Sons of Kentucky can connect you with high-quality cattle, and they work nationwide. Call Laura at 859-229-7691. That number again, 859-229-7691. Get the best cattle with Barber. Well, folks, it is Hashtag Market Monday on the Ag News Daily Podcast, which means we are talking to an analyst. Today, it is Brian Split up at Allendale in Chicago. Brian, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you for having me. I was too busy just watching my 401k melt away, so I'm glad we could talk about something else. Well, and and actually, before we jump into the commodity markets, we don't usually talk about the outside, the equities trade. You mentioned the 401k. It's been a rough, uh, let's say, 10 days here in equities. Brian, are are we going to see this thing turn around? 
You know, we're quickly approaching some lows that uh, we had made back in June. Uh, you know, we had a really nice uh, rally from the beginning of the, uh, the third quarter uh, to begin the month of July, and uh, that carried us right into the beginning of October. So uh, that rally is, is almost gone at this point. Um, today's bar um, is, is showing a pretty negative signal. You know, we, we traded above Friday's high on the Dow, and we're currently trading below Friday's low, so we've got an outside day lower. Uh, you know, you've got the, a similar pattern on the uh, E-mini S&P futures and uh, also on the NASDAQ futures. So generally speaking, um, I think if we close that way today, we should probably look to see some continued weakness. Uh, I think if we completely erase the, uh, the rally from the third quarter on, uh, we could start hitting some additional stops below the market and, uh, you know, see more more money exit. So, uh, again, I'm kind of like you. I don't really watch the equities like I do the commodity market, but you have to, you know, obviously keep an eye on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, just looking at the chart, that's kind of what I see right now. Brian, are the equity markets having any impact in the ag commodities at this point in time? Uh, you know, it doesn't appear that way yet. Um I know a lot of people like to have that thought process that, uh, you know, if the equity market were to take a steep break, that maybe we'd see an outflow of the of mm-hmm. money from equities and then an inflow into commodities. And, and maybe you could see that in a bigger picture sense, but I don't know that you ever see, um, you know, it, it happen instantaneously where you have a down day in equities and then all that money just comes rushing into into commodities. I think, um, you know, when you're uh, a, a portfolio manager or a fund manager, you're probably going to get to a point where you have a major event happening where you get to, you know, you get liquid first, um, and then you decide where you want to reallocate. So I think right now if you have a lot of money in equities, you're probably getting to a point where you're reducing exposure, getting liquid, uh, and then from that point forward, they'll decide if they want to put money into other other markets out there. But I, I don't think you see an instantaneous flush and then it goes directly into the commodity markets right away. Yeah, regardless, you need to have a story, a buy-side story, to get that money to flow in. And, Brian, as I take a look at the screen today in the commodities on the grain side, there just isn't much of a story there to be told. Let's start off here with the corn market. We continue to flop around here right on either side of that 370 mark in the December. Are we going to see a big break from that before that contract moves off the board, do you think? You know, um, we're in that time of year where uh, it wouldn't surprise. Um, I think this 360 level is very important. We made that 360 and a quarter low on the October WASDE report. We had some pretty heavy selling, um, you know, Wednesday, Thursday of last week, and we retested that low at 360 and a half. Uh, We didn't take it out, so we rallied sharply off of it on on Friday. But... um, you know, we, we weren't able to maintain any of that momentum from Friday's close. We couldn't take out last week's highs. We got within about a penny of it on, on the overnight high last night. And so, at the very least, I think this market could be a little bit sideways in a, in a tight range. Uh, we're going to get another report from the USDA next week on, uh, what is that, Thursday the 8th. Um, we'll see if the USDA addresses yield. They did reduce corn yield on this last report, so, you know, maybe... Uh, They'll reduce it, uh, you know, slightly again. But uh, my fear is if they don't touch yield, 
then uh, we're not going to see any kind of an adjustment to the production side of the balance sheet until January because generally the December report is very vanilla status quo type of a deal. Brian, do you expect them to raise the yield, I mean lower the yield on next Thursday's report? Uh, you know, I, I think they they had their couple months of raising it, and then um, you know, with some of the weather that we've seen, um, they did lower the yield on the last report. So I, I guess I'm in the mindset that if the USDA does make an adjustment to yield on this report for corn, uh, I personally think they're more likely to make a, a minor revision lower in yield than they are to push it right back up again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, Brian, then, then help us look out a little bit as we get into 2019 for those growers who are locking that corn in the bin as we get through harvest. We got the March at 379. We're looking at the December 2019 at, at north of four dollars yet. What to you is the is the sweet spot to get some sales on the books here in those deferred months? Well, I, I think when you look at the um, the July contract, and you know everybody, if, if the the crop is going in the bin and you plan on storing it, um, that tells me that uh, you know you're trying to use the carry in the market to get higher prices down the road. Um, so depending on your cash flow needs and when you may need to let some go. I think, you know, if you can get a, a $4 sale on in July, and we were there very briefly mid-month, we, I think we had July hit 402 and a quarter for a high one day, 401 and a quarter for a high the next day, and then 4 bucks the, the third session, and that was it. So you had three three days where you had an opportunity to get 4 bucks basically for July corn. Um, so I, I think that would be a good short-term uh, market to or level to look for if we did have a you know, another bump up in values, uh, especially if the USDA does another slight revision lower in yield, maybe we can retest that area. Uh, if you've got some, you know, pricing that needs to be done off of the March contract for, you know, January, February, March time frame for deliveries, um, you know, you're probably looking at, you know, this 385 to 390 area in the short term. I, you're going to have to see something change that we haven't seen yet in order to really get, I think, the March contract above 390. Uh, if it does, then technically it does point towards March, maybe testing uh, around $4. You have the the August monthly high on the March contract was 398 and three quarters. The 200 day is 396 and a half. So if we can push through the high that we had two weeks ago, then maybe we could try and bump up towards four bucks. But I think you should be letting go of some bushels prior to that. Um, you know, if we had a little bit of a move higher in the short term. Brian, I want to change tables here and talk about the wheat market because Friday was just a stellar day. I mean, up 79 cents, I think, at the close, up 2 cents today in the December contract. So we're definitely not correcting Friday's massive rally. What's going on in the wheat market? Well, we have the tender from Egypt, and, um, you know, while we got some of the business, we still have Russia as a, as a competitor right now, and, um, you know, I think the rally that we had um, Thursday and Friday in wheat now gets us back to where we're, you know, slightly above Russia's prices. Uh, you know, when you look at shipping included in the whole deal, uh, that's why Russia, uh, you know, got the majority of the tender. Uh, they are still cheaper than us. So, you know, we, we just had a, a, a very relentless break in wheat prices. Uh, you know, we had probably, what, from mid-October to uh to the lows last week i think wheat values broke um you know 50 cents or so in that ballpark so i do think some of this you know is a little bit of a relief rally and some short covering uh 
Um, you know, we had the headline that Russia was going to be talking about their wheat exports, and I think that's still an issue that, you know, bears paying quite a bit of attention to. We'll see if it, it turns into anything in the long haul, but, um, you know, when sometimes when there's smoke, there's fire, um, and they talk about, you know, if they hit 25 million tons of wheat exports or 30 million tons of total grain exports that they may consider curbing their exports. Um, and I don't know what that looks like, but what I do know is that the pace that they've been selling at, if they hit those targets, it's probably not going to be until maybe early to mid-December the way it looks. So I wouldn't expect anything super exciting to actually come to fruition in the short term, but you know, if we could have something kind of develop going later into the year, um, that might be a cause for some of you know the, the fun money that we've been talking about that needs a story. Hmm. You know, early in, in the calendar year, uh, that might be a reason for them to allocate some funds back into that market. But uh, you know, we had the USDA attaché to uh, Argentina reduce their uh, estimate of Argen Argentine uh, wheat exports because of their crops. So you know, there's some lingering stories that uh, could you know be uh, something supportive down the road, but. Uh, I'd really like to see the U.S. start getting more of the world export business. I think that's very mm -hmm. important to see a, a bigger picture, longer-lasting rally. Yeah, and, and right now wheat plantings are, uh, in some areas, are, aren't what we'd like to see. So, you know, some of the thoughts of having, you know, these extra wheat acres going in that might not come to fruition, and that could be a story, you know, that all kind of culminates. Yeah, the market's funny. Sometimes it's like everything's all bearish all at once, and then when it's not, it's all bullish all at once. So. You know, if we could have some of these stories come together at the same time, that would be something, you know, very positive for us. Brian, the soybean market, do you see any bull stories developing there? Does the election in Brazil change anything if, if they decide to engage in another trade war with China? Is there any hope here for American soybean producers? Well, right now when you look at the candidate that was elected he's very pro-growth uh, so i think the economy is going to be an issue for him privatizing state-owned companies reducing uh, private and corporate taxes uh, simplifying the individual tax structure um, you know structuring reforms for pensions all that good stuff so um, i i think when you look at the thing that's the major um, thing that we would watch day to day as far as sentiment for soybeans and potential to see business come our way versus Brazil would be the uh, the real. Um, now, one of the things that we had when the market opened last night is the real was actually quite a bit higher, um, and the real had rallied substantially uh, into the election. Uh, so between mid mid September to mid October, we had a uh, you know, a very sharp rally in the real coming into the election. We traded sideways uh, into the election itself, and now um, the real is sitting here, um, you know, sharply off of its highs. So this could very well be a, you know, a buy the rumor, sell the fact type of a, a trade in the real. And if this real starts to now uh, fall off from these highs, that, that would be, you know, concerning to me for, for uh, U.S. soybean values. Uh, I don't see any reason right now why um, why Brazil would try to, to uh, start a trade war with China. I think it's a, a different situation from the U.S. Uh, you know, you've seen as a percentage of Brazil's overall exports, the um, Chinese have been growing as a, as a percentage of their overall exports substantially just month to month. So, hmm. you know, July, uh, China accounted for 82% of their, their soybean exports. In August, it was 86%. In September, it was 96%. Holy cow. So, 
their share of, of Brazilian exports are growing. Uh, you know, Brazil's running a trade surplus with China versus, you know, the U.S. running a deficit. So I, I don't see that being a, a deal here where Brazil's going to, you know, get in a, a trade war with China like like we have. Brian, I want to talk about the protein markets here for a second. Continuing pace with what's going on in China and the world markets, we were reading an article just earlier on the podcast today saying China is going to give recommended guidelines to uh, decrease proteins for protein usage in, in hog herds by 1%. How much of this is, is still playing a, a role here in the lean hog markets? We're up 92.5 cents today in the December contract. Have we priced in this African swine fever news, or are we continuing to see that add some strength? Uh, you know, we continue to see more and more headlines. Uh, you know, last week we saw some headlines where it hit some southern provinces that we haven't seen, uh, you know, the swine fever reach yet. And I think that's continuing to support the market. Um, you know, if, if I'm a producer, uh, I'm a little bit concerned about where the market sits right now, just relative to some major resistance levels. Um, you know, we've seen this December contract early in the month have a, you know, a pretty major failure at 59.95 on the December futures. Uh, high today, 59.45. Hmm. Um, you know, just from a, a technical standpoint, this contract has not been able to spend much time over its 200-day moving average, which, you know, we did close above today. So this is a, you know, I, I think today and Friday we closed above it. Um, you know, we closed above it for one session on October 1st. You, know, you go back prior to that, and maybe it was a day or two back in April. So this this moving average has proven to be some resistance. Uh, I'm concerned with our our exports. Um, you know, if this swine fever is going to be a supportive story, uh, we're not seeing the impact in our in our export program yet. Um, so I, I think that's worth watching it. And if this export pace doesn't uh, improve itself, uh, I'd be concerned that um, you know it may take a while to get the business, and it may not be directly to China. It might be you know mm-hmm. if we can get USMCA. Uh, you know, actually on paper and signed and in the books, then maybe what will happen is is Canada will buy pork from the U.S. and then they'll, you know, sell it to China. Uh, But for the time being, I I haven't really seen any positive effects besides the futures market rally, you know, um, on on the export side of things. We've got a little ways to go before that either really picks up steam or we can kind of start tuning it out altogether. Right, right. Now, Brian, before we let you go, of course, we've got to talk the cattle business. I want to talk fat cattle and the feeder cattle pricing here. Fats still slugging around in that 110, you know, in the teens, I suppose. Is there anything here seasonally as we get close to the fall, as we get through Thanksgiving into Christmas? what What are the trends we're usually watching for in the fat cattle market? Well, you know, seasonally, like you'd mentioned, we should see a seasonal decline in slaughter. Um, so that would suggest that we could see, you know, at least stable to high, higher cash values. Um, you know, we like right now where the December contract is priced. This 117 area seems to be very stable. Um, I did a little research myself, and I just really looked at um, the December live cattle contract. Uh, I was looking at it on a 60-minute chart, so every bar represents one hour of trade. And every day you have five hourly bars, and obviously there's five days per week. So I kind of put a 25-hour moving average on it to give us 
an idea of, you know, week to week what's the average pricing. And that that average price has not really moved above the 118.50 area or below 116.50. So that seems to be a very strong range that the market's trading in right now. So that's something I've been looking at. You get up around 118.50, it looks like it's, you know, uh, at the upper end of the range, and you're 116.50, it's at the lower end of the range. Um, you know, I'm currently short some 117 straddles, so I'm short the 117 call and the 117 put, uh, looking for the the uh, option premium to, to continue to decay out of that position. Um, but you know, in the big picture, uh, as we look at next year, one of the things that we were talking about is, you know, do we potentially have the June and August contracts overvalued? We're looking at additional beef production next year, yet the futures are trading at higher uh, price levels compared to, to, you know, this past year's value. So, um, you know, is that something that producers should be considering and looking at and saying, all right, maybe we should be looking at June and August live cattle and, uh, you know, considering getting some kind of protection on here for the potential long-term moves, especially um, I I think you could see the perception that if the stock market does have a larger correction in the long haul, that that can weigh on on, uh, live cattle values. Absolutely. Brian, before we let you go, how can producers or folks listening get a hold of you if they have more questions? Uh, we, Allendale has a website. You can check us out online at www.allendale-inc.com. Uh, you can reach us at the office here. It's 1-800-2-MARKET, so 1-800-262-7538. And uh, I am at extension 170. All right. Brian, thanks so much for breaking down the markets for us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's always great. Well, Delaney, I always enjoy talking to Brian. It's good to have that kind of a, a mindset brought to bear on the markets. And it's good to talk equities a little bit, I think. Yeah, I agree. And I think you have a little bit of a different viewpoint from a lot of other analysts, as he was talking about there. Yeah. Because usually, you know, a lot of people think that if the equities are surging or they kind oh, of move. Oh, right, sucking the money yeah. one way or the other, money mm-hmm. flow. And, yeah, I think he's exactly right. We just have to have a story. There needs to be something to develop to pull that money into the commodities trade. But uh, we will be pulling great stories out of future interviews all week long. Delaney, if listeners want to get a hold of any of our past episodes, where should they go? They can head to agnewsdaily.com. For now, we are switching to a new network website later But you'll always be able to access agnewsdaily.com. Save that bookmark. Yeah. It will still take yeah, you to the right page. You can also interact with us on Facebook and on Twitter if you have comments, questions, concerns. You just want to chat with us, send us your harvest pictures. You can find us at Ag News Daily. Mike, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. 